what's going on guys welcome back to consuming crime with jen and jules it is jules here i tonight i watched two documentaries in a row took notes on both of them and i will tell you i will be covering the second one first my emotions are relatively raw on this this case is probably the case that got me the most emotionally of every case that i have ever covered it i mean it could be just because there's a pregnant woman in it before we get started make sure you give us five stars wherever you are listening and also make sure to check us out on the patreon at the five dollar official level you'll have available six episodes ready to listen including the aaron hernandez series as well as two additional episodes each month at the seven dollar all access level you'll have all of the previous benefits plus our regular content with no ads and at the $12 VIP level, you'll have all of the previous benefits, plus not only do you get to listen to me tell the story, you get to watch me tell the story. Without further ado, guys, let's get into the story. So I took my notes from a documentary on Netflix called American Murder, The Family Next Door. This is the case of Shanann Watts and Chris Watts. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it. I, I think it's relatively exposed. I know that as I was watching it, I was like, this case seems really familiar. And then like once I got towards the end, I was like, okay, yeah, I've definitely heard this case. However, I've never seen the documentary. I listened to True Crime Obsessed cover it. That's another, that's my favorite true crime podcast, in case you guys are curious. The documentary starts off with a woman named Shanann Watts. She's talking. It looks like she's vlogging. She seems to be relatively popular on Facebook. She's kind of like a family vlogger, it looks like. And she is from Frederick, Colorado. From the looks of it, she seems like a normal, happy young woman. She's got two daughters, a dog, and a husband named Chris. We then see security footage of Shanann walking to her front door carrying a luggage. Maybe she looks like she maybe just got back from like a trip or something. And this was on August 13th, 2018. A white car had dropped her off and it looks like the car waited for her to get inside. So it was obviously like a friend, not just like an Uber driver. The next morning at 8.55 a.m., her friend Nicole, who we're gonna call Nikki, calls her a couple of times and there's no answer. The same friend then texts her, let me know how your appointment goes. No response. At almost noon, Nikki decides to let her know she's gonna come over because she's really worried about her. She gets to her house and she starts, she sees that her car's there and she starts knocking, trying to see if anybody will answer and nobody answers. So she calls police. In my opinion, a little invasive maybe give her some space but then again i don't know the precedent we don't know what happened before she started to worry maybe she gave her a reason to worry she calls police and she's letting them know what i just said there's no answer i'm at her house nobody's answering the door blah, 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 and her car is here the officers go to shanann's house and we see like body cam footage there's actually a lot of footage in this documentary i recommend watching it Nikki's telling police that she was acting strange. They had gone on a trip for work the weekend, that past weekend, and she wasn't really eating, she wasn't drinking much, and she was distraught pretty much the entire time. They had called the husband and he was on his way home. Nikki does seem urgent to get inside the house before Chris gets there. She even calls Shanann's parents asking if they have like the code to get into the garage from the outside, which they don't, so eventually they just have to wait for Chris to get home. Chris gets there and they all start checking the house and the only thing missing is the little girl's blankies. And according to Chris, they do not go anywhere without these blankies. So maybe they just went out, but they couldn't have gone out because they also found her purse, 
her phone, and in her purse had medication, which was important for her to take, according to her friend Nikki, because she had lupus. So she really like couldn't leave without it. I mean, in general, you're not gonna leave the house without your purse and your phone anyway. Shanann also works from home, so she couldn't have been at work. Plus, if she was at work, where are the girls? After going through the phone records, they see that Chris had texted her a little bit before eight, saying, hey, if you take the kids anywhere, please let me know where you guys go. And then at noon, he says, call me, please. And then at one, says, okay, I'm on my way home, please be there. I'm getting a little, like, maybe he's trying to get an alibi vibe, but who knows. We're starting to get a little bit of her background. She had been previously married, and that divorce had taken a lot away from her self-esteem-wise. She started working really hard and built her own house by the time she was 25 years old. Which is super impressive, if you ask me. And then she was on an all-time high. Like she was really happy. This was before the girls, by the way. And then, um, and then she was diagnosed with lupus. And then she went through another depression. And eventually she met Chris. And according to her, he was the best thing that ever happened to her. We get wedding footage and everything. We see, I mean, they look happy. I mean, it's a wedding. I would hope you're at least happy at your own wedding. And, you know, the family looks encouraging. We get speeches from Shanann's father, Shanann's brother, saying like, we're so happy you met him, and they just, just seems really normal. So on this night, Chris is accounting that she got home at 2 a.m., which matches and makes sense with what Nikki said, and then he went to work around 5.15, 5.30. I will point out he does look a little bit nervous. He doesn't strike me as worried, but then again, we all have different reactions to grieving, so I'm not gonna judge him yet. He tells police that he works for an oil and gas company as an operator. They also notice that she left her wedding ring by the nightstand next to the bed. Which is kind of an indicator that maybe like she did leave him? Or was planted, we don't know. They did have two daughters together, Celeste, who they call Cece and Bella. Chris is saying like, should we check the route that she goes to to take the girls to school? Or she could be at her friend Kristen's house? Like, I really don't know what else she would be doing. She's either always working, taking the girls to school, or at her friend's house. The neighbor comes over and he's saying that he has security footage and like maybe there might be something on it, so like let's go watch it. So him, the officer, and Chris go to watch the security footage and they don't see anything suspicious until Chris leaves the room or Chris leaves his neighbor's house and the officer says, oh, I'm gonna stay back and get your neighbor's information. Chris is like, okay, so he leaves. And then his neighbor says, I don't know, Chris is acting kind of strange. He's acting really fidgety. He's not normally fidgety like that. Also, he pointed out to the officer that in the footage, Chris parked his car, like, or his truck by the garage as if he was like loading and unloading something. And according to the neighbor, he never does that. Chris had also mentioned that Shanann was about 14, maybe 15 weeks pregnant. When the neighbor says that um, Chris was acting a little bit suspicious, the officer does, not that he necessarily defends Chris, but he kind of gives him the benefit of the doubt. He's like, well, like, put yourself in his shoes, you know? This episode also makes me really, like, angry, and, like, I'm naturally monotone, so I don't think it's coming off, but, like, I am feeling it a little bit right now. At this point in the documentary, by the way, I am not sus of Chris. I'm not suspicious of him at all. Like, a little bit, but that. That's just because you should always be suspicious a little bit of everybody. But overall, I'm not thinking this dude just killed everybody. On August 14th, officers call Chris and they just basically they're just getting details on the little girls and his wife. 
like physical details so they can put on a missing persons report. And now the hunt begins on trying to find these three girls. Posters are going up. They're going door to door trying to see, did you see this person? Did you see her? Did you see this little girl? Did you see anyone around the house around this time? And some people are saying like, oh, they know who Shanann is because they see her on Facebook. Like I said, she seems to be relatively popular on social media. One woman said that she saw a steel gray truck parked near the house and she figured that's why cops were there the day before. She said that she knows that Shanann's dad had a truck like that, but that his was bigger than this one that she saw. It kind of, honestly, this bit of the documentary was kind of random. Um, FYI, it does not come up again. The officers go to search their home again and there, it was weird, there was like a woman with a huge camera in the living room that was like, oh, it's okay, I'll leave. I don't wanna be in your guys' way. And later I found out she was a news reporter, but the media got involved real quickly on this one. The news reporter had asked him if they had an argument before she took off and he said, no, they didn't. They had an emotional conversation, but he was gonna leave it at that. Really quick, you guys, I interrupt this program to introduce you to today's sponsor. It is Consuming Crime's very first sponsor, and that is Audible.com, which is an Amazon-owned company. They are the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, you get one free credit, and with our code, Consuming Crime, you can get one month free and one free audiobook. I actually use Audible myself. I don't really have time to sit down and read a book. I'm constantly moving around and, you know, doing school, work, the podcast, things like that. Right now, I am currently reading a book written by Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. I love a lot of his works, and the one I'm reading right now is called The Mastery of Self. I am obsessed with self-development, self-growth, and this book really teaches you about knowing who you are, knowing, you know, what you have to offer the world, and just knowing that, you know, no one's better than anyone ever, and I think it's really good to just be self-aware. With that being said, again, go on and head over to audibletrial.com slash consumingcrime and get your free audiobook on us completely. Again, that is audibletrial.com slash consumingcrime. Now, back to the story. At this point, he just wants them back. We're now getting interview footage from the police station. They're asking him, let's get into the conversation that you had with her. So he starts telling them. He says that he was telling her how he really felt and things had been off lately. And, you know, he, I guess he was saying that there was like, there was no spark anymore. And she had actually taken six weeks to go see her family in order to kind of give him space from that to see if, you know, they could bring the spark back. He's saying he's starting to feel guilty and he feels like maybe she didn't feel loved and felt like she needed to leave. Now we're getting into seven weeks ago, which is when she decided to spend six weeks in North Carolina with her family. And then in July, he was going to go over there to spend a week and then go back all together. We're getting footage from the trip when it was just her and the girls and everything seems normal. Everyone seems super happy and nothing out of the ordinary. Officers had questioned her friend Nikki, who's the one that made the phone call initially. And Nikki tells them that the th- it was like the third or fourth week on the trip, Shadan had gotten into it with Chris's mom because Chris's mom tried giving Cece, the little girl, some type of ice cream. And I guess like everything in the ice cream this little girl was allergic to. And she was like, no, don't give her that. And it was like this huge fight. 
I should mention that Chris's parents also live in North Carolina, so she had gone to see his parents without him with the little girls though. And she had texted Chris saying like, you need to get your mom, <laughs> like, she's pissing me off. Like, she's trying to give her something she knows she's allergic to. Chris's mom says, I didn't know she was allergic to this. And Chris says, okay, I'll talk to my mom. It escalates to the point where Shanann says she does not want her kids around his parents, which obviously upset him. And then that caused a fight between them. Officers ask Chris what he thinks happened to her. Does he think that somebody took her or does he think that she left on her own? Initially, he says he felt like maybe she left on her own. And now he's starting to feel like somebody took her. But if that's the case, he's also saying that it's somebody that she knows because of the fact that there was no, nothing knocked down, there was no type of break-in. We're getting text messages and it's from five weeks before. She tries FaceTiming Chris and he doesn't answer. He's super apologetic about it. He's saying he did not see the phone calls and she says, you effing call your kids when you wake up. You have not called one time on your own since we've been here. And so he responds like, I feel like a jackass, please be okay. I will call as soon as I wake up from now. He's kind of like being super nice, but according to her, she, he was like super distant. So I wonder if he's just like bipolar or if he's trying to look good. I have no idea. Shanann had told Nikki that things were bad and she blamed his parents. She's saying that the only other time he acted like this was right after they got married and his parents did not go to the wedding. I guess they didn't approve of Shanann. Chris is saying that his mom did not like her because she did not feel like Shanann was good enough for her son. And there was also this vibe of like, oh, she's taking my son from North Carolina. She's taking him with her to Colorado. The officer starts suggesting that maybe Chris was having an affair. This came out of nowhere. At least I thought, I was like, whoa, like why are we accusing him of that? He's saying, you know, you used to be like a heavier man and now I see that you're a lot more fit. You know, maybe that makes your eyes wander a little bit. And he's saying, no, I'm not cheating on my wife. I personally, I was like, I don't think he's cheating. Like, I wonder where they got that from. But then again, I don't think, I don't think they would have gotten it from nowhere, right? The officer requests that he take a polygraph and he says, sure. Between this time, they did make a phone call as well to Luke Eppel, who was his direct supervisor. They asked him if he had a girlfriend. They were like, does Chris have a girlfriend? Or do you think that Shanann has a boyfriend? And Luke says no. They also asked Luke about his character. He's like, I don't, basically like he doesn't suspect Chris of doing anything malicious. According to Luke, the morning of the disappearances, he had sent Chris and a couple of other guys to Survey Ranch to do the oil and gas work whatever it is that they do there. On August 15th, we're getting the polygraph footage. He's saying that he woke her up before he left to work, and then they talked about selling the house, they talked about separating, and he made a stupid comment. He said, being a woman, she asked if there was someone else. Being a woman, how about like logic, dude? If you are together and you're happy and you're go lucky and you're like chilling in marriage, whatever, and then randomly one of them wants to separate, there's somebody else there's always like you don't just wake up one morning and decide i don't love you anymore something happens and 10 times i'm willing to bet 10 times out of 10 it is because there is somebody else that quick of a flip of a switch is another person point blank period it's not being a woman it's having common sense which i guess is the same thing i could see the little spikes going up in my audio recording so 
Let me have some. Man, I'm sweating. Whew. I'm. This is this is not even the worst part. I'd like to point out that Chris is super nervous. I mean, he is in a polygraph test, and I think even innocent people would be nervous. Um, but he gets even more nervous because the interviewer tells him that she needs his breathing to calm down because it's all over the place. We're getting more on-screen text messages of Shanann texting him saying she feels like she can't come back the way that they are and she needs him to meet her halfway. He responds saying, you're not gonna come back with the way that we are, like I love you so much, you're beautiful, like it's weird because she's texting her friends saying that he's acting distant, yet in text messages he's acting all sweet. She also texted him like, okay, you're saying that, but you ignored me all night last night. I was in bed waiting for you to text me back and you never called me or texted me. He did end up flying out there a week before they were supposed to get back so they could all fly back together. There is footage of him getting to the airport, meeting the two girls and Shanann, and honestly, he seems like kind of uninterested, you know? I just, I get that vibe from the video, but it's it's hard for me to judge somebody's demeanor. We're seeing more text messages where she's texting one of her friends, and she says that he's only kissed her once since getting there. It's been five and a half weeks. What the hell is this? He did not hug me. He did not grab my butt, which I guess is a thing that he probably does. Um, he's saying nothing's wrong. The kids are in bed. I took a night shower, and he knows that night showers means that I want sex. Guess what he's doing? He's doing the... He's he's doing the ducking push-up challenge. I like how it says ducking. She's probably using an iPhone because I know that that happens a lot where it auto-corrects effing to ducking. She said he's doing all that instead of talking to me or effing me. She keeps going. She says, I'm literally crying right now. Five and a half weeks, no sex, unless he's getting it somewhere else. Her friend has the audacity, the gall, the nerve to text her back and say, don't think like that. Like he wouldn't do that to you. Bitch, if you are my friend, do not lie to me. You're gonna tell me that my husband, after not seeing me for over five weeks, gets to see me finally and doesn't wanna have sex? Garbage, garbage. This is when I'm thinking, okay, who the hell does this guy have around? Mind you, up until literally this last part where she said that they haven't had sex in over five weeks and he is not doing it, I didn't think he was having an affair. We're getting more interview footage, and this time, the interviewer is saying, you failed the polygraph test. And the other detective is telling him, it's time now. Like, it's time for you to really tell us the truth. He is telling them, I did not lie on that test. I've told you the truth, that's all that I know. But the officers are like really hammering down this time. They are not happy with him. The documentary is going back to text messages about the lack of sex. Her friend says, dude, just like go for it. Just try to have sex with him. Because she says, oh, he's in the shower now. And he has he didn't like invite me in the shower with him. What the hell? So she does. She does go and she tries to have sex with him. And he rejects her. Okay, I'm confident there's another female. There has there has to be. There has to be. So he rejects her. She leaves. She goes to cry by herself. And then she comes back wakes his stupid ass up and says all right who is it like who are you sleeping with and he brushes her off and it's like not now not now boy when oh, uh what i love about this documentary and thank you netflix for doing this is they make you feel like you're in the relationship i mean 
obviously i'm over here getting emotionally invested in this in text messages she starts blaming his parents this is all his parents and that was the only fight that they had was over his mom. And then the bombshell of the documentary hits. We have a woman by the name of Nicole Kessinger on the phone. Or Kessinger. I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. At first I thought, oh Nicole, this is the best friend. But no, because the pictures and the way that it was spelled was different. So I'm like, who the hell is this one? She goes on to tell officers, Chris seems like a really good guy, um, you know, and up until this point, she thought he was good. And then she started to worry about his wife and his kids. She's saying she met Chris at work in June and he did tell her about his two daughters and told her that he was in the process of separating from his wife. And the relationship did progress past a friendship. In June? Are we talking about June of 2018? I don't... E <sighs> that means it took him two months to decide he didn't want to be with his what if he met her in june of 2018 that same year that means it took a couple of weeks for him to decide he wanted to separate from his wife weeks they had also been married for about eight years by the way little girls are three and five i almost said four three and five i believe so that just gives you a timeline of their relationship and she's pregnant she just got pregnant Nicole did not find out that the wife was pregnant until seeing it on social media after she went missing. That's when she decided to call police. Now, now is the part that I'm like, all right, Chris killed his family. This is the part that I was like, all right, he did it. I'm going to go ahead and stop the episode right there. This one recording did last a little bit long, so I am going to split it into a two-part series. Uh, part two is going to be up next Wednesday as usual. And um, that's pretty much it. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Make sure you give us five stars wherever you are listening. And make sure to check out the Patreon. At the $5 official level, you'll have available five episodes ready to listen, including the Aaron Hernandez series, as well as two additional episodes each month. At the $7 all-access level, you'll have all of the previous benefits plus our regular content with no ads. And at the $12 VIP level, you'll have all of the previous benefits plus not only do you get to listen to me tell the story, you get to watch me tell the story. And uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, thanks for consuming crime with me today and you'll hear me next week.